right. So reviewing, if you want the review, it's also on E-Class. If you, I know I gave a paper copy, but if you would prefer to have a, a digital copy, uh, it is there. Okay. So we start off there with the formal versus informal powers of the president. And also this unit was, um, I only gave the two assignments because there was a lot of material that felt like when I created it. So, um, you know, the reading, there's two chapters, uh, there was a bunch of PowerPoints, a bunch of videos to watch. So uh, I tried to, hopefully, I thought the assignments weren't going to be that bad. Uh, so hopefully they weren't uh, too awful uh, for you. Uh, all right. So um, the formal versus informal powers of the president. So the formal powers are going to be those that are written out in the Constitution uh, that were found in executive, I'm not executive, but um, Article 2 of the Constitution, uh, that's the one that created the presidency. And you need to remember, all right, the founding fathers, they did not create a strong president, right? Uh, that was not their goal. Their goal was that the president was going to be kind of a weak position and that it was going to be Congress um, that uh, really guides America. Um, the president that we've seen since probably 19, since the early 1900s, it's not really what they envisioned, where it's a president that's strong, a president that, that, that is leading stuff, um, and Congress has kind of began to defer to the president. Uh, they did not expect that whatsoever, okay? Within those powers, you have some specific powers uh, that are formal. Uh, the, the main one, the big one, is the commander-in-chief, all right, uh, going to be in charge of the military. Uh, you've also got other things that the president, it is you know, specifically said uh, that they can do. They're allowed to veto a law, you know, veto a bill. Uh, they they have that power that's in the Constitution. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and those are typically the two big ones. Okay. Now, informal are the powers the president has just kind of taken. Uh, and we can almost use it like the elastic clause of, the, of Congress, uh, which we did back in Unit 2 when we did the Constitution. Um they it's written into Article Two, but then let's stretch our powers out a little bit. Okay, some examples of informal powers, powers that have been taken that the president has kind of been allowed to do uh, are executive orders, uh, executive agreements. Alrighty, um, both those things they're not the Constitution. You won't find them uh, anywhere in the Constitution. As I said, the president can create executive orders. All right. And an executive order, uh, what you need to know about that real quick is that it is a directive to a bureaucratic agency, all right? So that's why it's informal uh, is because, you know, the whole cabinet positions uh, are informal. But um, the president can write a note to uh, an executive agency and it's all of a sudden got the force of law because the bureaucratic agency is expected to enforce it. This is why there's so much power behind executive orders, because they go to the bureaucratic agencies and they have to enforce them almost like a law. But it is not a law. OK, so don't think that executive orders are laws. This is why the, a president will probably never be able to rule behind executive orders is because they don't have that official uh, <clears throat> you know, law behind them. Uh, an executive agreement is similar, except for it deals with other countries. Uh, and so the president, instead of signing a treaty, which hopefully, you know, has to be approved by the Senate, 
the president can do executive agreement with another country. All right. And he gets around the Senate approval. Um, so it's just some workarounds of the, of the, the president has, you know, over Congress. So the president can't write a law, but hey, I can write an executive order and I can get the, the executive <clears throat> branch, the bureaucracy to enforce it. Hey, I, I, if I sign this treaty, I got to get it approved by Congress, by the Senate specifically, but I can write this executive agreement up and sign it with this other country. And um, we can just not worry about, we can bypass the, the Senate and the legislative branch altogether. So those typically the informal powers are ways to get around some of the restrictions that are there from Congress. All right. Uh, next up there is law implementation by the bureaucracy. And a couple of things to understand here. Um, once a law is created, so once Congress creates a law, creates a policy or whatever it might be, and it's passed, their hands are off. Congress does nothing. It's up to the bureaucracy to implement those laws. All right. So Congress writes it up. It gets passed. It actually makes it through. And then it's on to the bureaucracy. And that's a huge responsibility. All right. Because the bureaucracy can then, in their implementation, they get to set all kinds of, of standards, um, regulations, because they get to read it <clears throat> and they get to decide how we're going to enforce it. All right. So the bureaucracy gets to decide how they're going to enforce. So Congress might have one vision, but the bureaucracy might read it and enforce it a completely different way. Okay. There's paper coffee on it. Um, but once again, the main takeaway there from the bureaucracy is that they have to implement the laws. All right. So that is their job. That is their role is to, um, to implement, uh, impeachment. You have, uh, we've done impeachment before, but just as a reminder, uh, the house has to do the articles of impeachment. All right. So the house of representatives does the articles of impeachment. Remember it's treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. And it takes just a half, just a half of the house to say, yes, this person is impeached. And then the Senate does a trial with a two thirds vote, kicking them out. Okay. So then the Senate does the trial. Thanks. Uh, so the Senate does the trial and they need a two thirds vote. We've had several presidents impeached, but we've never had one kicked out. So we've never had one voted out. All right. President versus the Congress. Uh, first off, how can the president limit Congress? The main tool they have in limiting Congress is the veto. All right. So the main tool in their back pocket is that veto. They have that threat because they can do that. They can, they can override a bill. They can override a law basically and say, no, I'm not going to sign that. And therefore it does not get to go to the bureaucracy for implementation. All right. Uh, and that's a pretty powerful tool, especially if the president has a decent popularity rate. If they have a pretty good popularity rate, Congress is not going to override a veto. So that veto becomes a very powerful tool. If the president is unpopular, 
then that veto power loses some of its luster because Congress is more likely to override a veto if the president is unpopular. All righty. Uh, but that is the biggest way. The president really doesn't have much power other than that over Congress. The president cannot call Congress in and question them. The president can invite Congress people to the White House and, ha and have a discussion, but there's no way to demand that any congressman comes to the White House for questions. There's no way um, versus new Congress who can subpoena people and say, hey, you're going to come talk to me. The president doesn't have that kind of power. Uh, constituency versus president's proposals. Now, this means the House and the Senate have constituents. Those are the voters. All right. So the constituency, all that means is the voters. And the question comes down to who are Congress people going to support? Are they going to support a president and their proposals or are they going to support what their constituency wants? All right. Who votes for them? Well, the constituents do. So typically, if it boils down to, well, my, my constituents want this, but the president wants that, I got to go with what my constituents want. All right. We're kind of seeing this right now a little bit um, up in West Virginia. There's a Democratic senator. But West Virginia is typically red. For everything else. So Republican constituents were the Democratic senator. The Democratic senator is kind of holding up some of the legislation that Biden wants to get passed through right now. Because although he's labeled as a Democrat, he's from a, a red state. Yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with with all of that, but it's probably once again it boils down to, you know, the what does the area want is what it boils down to. That's that's who Congress people are going to be uh, loyal to is what their constituents want. So even if the president says, "Hey, you know, we want this, this, and this," um, if the constituents, if the voters don't want it, then Congress people are going to typically side with their voters because th those are the people that have their jobs. So. But I'm not familiar with the, the, the specific example. I know some of the books you mentioned, but I'm not I'm not sure about the second one you mentioned. So I'll try I can try and figure it out later. <clears throat> okay. Uh president's cabinet. <clears throat> so the cabinet, remember, is kind of an unofficial thing because it was not in the Constitution. Uh remember, George Washington took a line from Article Two that said the president can get in writing advice from some of the bureaucratic agencies. And he created the positions of Secretary of State, which was Thomas Jefferson, the position of uh, Treasury, which was Hamilton, and the position of um, the Secretary of War, which is now the Department of Defense, uh, Henry Knox. All right, so they, he took this, these, this one line uh, from the Constitution and created these positions. And now we have 15 of them. Okay. And the cabinet is these positions that kind of oversee typically segments of the American, of American life. All righty. Uh, we're going to give some specific examples down at the bottom uh, in just a few minutes. So I'm going to hold off on that, but they're the, the big overarching theme. Okay. So like transportation, 
you know, they, they have that. And then they have all these agencies that fall under them that help them in, in, impact stuff. Um, some of them, you know, not that they're not all important, but some of them have more importance than others. The president tends to listen to some of them more than others. Um, it's just really based on, it's not really based on anything uh, other than, hey, there's more stuff happening here than there is here. Okay. Secretary of State dealing with foreign affairs. There's stuff happening all over the world. The president has to be, you know, meeting with the Secretary of State on a regular basis. The Department of Transportation probably doesn't get those kind of meetings. The Department of Agriculture probably doesn't get those 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 number of meetings. Okay. Um, there's just not as many issues happening all the time. So the, the advice the president takes from his cabinet positions typically are, are going to depend upon that. All right, roles of the president. So you did an assignment on the roles of the president, or are doing it. I think it's due today. <laughs> so be sure you're getting that knocked out where you're uh, given two presidents uh, a report card based on their roles. And I did leave one off of the review, and that was the head of the party. So if you want to add that somewhere. Uh, all right, so the chief executive, this is where the president spends most of their time. Uh, this is their running of the, the bureaucracy, basically. Okay, so the chief executive, this is where the president will spend most of their time. Um, this is where they do most of the, the, the running of the bureaucracy. Okay, um, this is where they're going to do executive orders. Uh, we talked about those just a few minutes ago, those directives to the bureaucracy. Uh, this is where the president will make appointments. All right. The president gets to appoint uh, quite a few positions. Not every day. You know, it's not something that there's not an appointment every day, but the president does appoint judges. All right. Federal judges uh, quite often. Um, if there's a change in leadership at one of the cabinet positions, the president will appoint someone new. Uh, this is where the president will do pardons and things like that. So the chief executive is the role the president will spend most of their time in. And it's the one uh, where they will will be kind of the day-to-day -day stuff uh, that the president has to do. All right, so this is the day-to-day -day stuff the president has to do, where, hey, let's meet with this bureaucratic agency, let's meet with this bureaucratic agency, and things like that. Uh, the commander chief is the easiest one and probably the easiest one to find examples of for your report card. Uh, this is where they're in charge of the military. All right, so they are in charge of the military. However, remember, the president cannot declare war. That is a congressional thing. The only people that can declare war is Congress. So, um, but decisions in the, of the military, they go through the president. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, long time ago now, it's hard to believe it's been so long ago, but when they went in and got Osama bin Laden, you know, uh, that decision had to come from the president, Barack Obama. Um, you know, so the, the, any kind of military decisions go to the president, but the only people that can declare war are Congress. All right. Chief legislator. Now remember the president cannot go into Congress and introduce legislation. All right. But can the president work with Congress on legislation? Yes. All right. Uh, so, you know, this infrastructure bill. That's in Congress right now. Uh, that is, is part of Biden's kind of agenda or whatever it might be. Uh, 
he had a huge hand in writing that up. But could he introduce it in Congress? No, he couldn't. All right. Uh, so the president will work with Congress on pieces of legislation. All right. Uh, but they cannot go in and introduce stuff. They will try and influence decisions that Congress people make. Um, I don't know. I saw the headline. I didn't read an article, but apparently Joe Biden delayed his, he was going to some conference uh, last week and he, he delayed it by a day so he could talk to Congress people about a bill that he has trying to get passed. All right. So he can try and influence them uh, that way. He's also required to give a state of the union in this. So if you're looking for examples, you know, for your chief legislature role, you could go over uh, a state of the union that the president had to give. Uh, the chief diplomat is pretty easy to understand. This is the foreign affairs. All right. So this is the foreign affairs stuff. Uh, so if a uh, foreign dignitary comes from a different country, the president will probably welcome them to the White House. Um, when the president travels overseas um, and foreign relations. All right. So all those things happen in the, the chief diplomat place. Uh, when I type this up, I put the head of state. I also put the chief of citizen. Uh, instead of the head of the party. So it was my it was a typo mistake by my part. I was in a rush. Uh, so head of state and chief citizen are pretty much the same thing. Uh, this is where they're just they are the kind of the, the ceremonial American. All right. When people from around the world think of the president, I mean, think of uh, America. A lot of times one of the first things that come to their head is the president. All righty. Uh, and so this is where the president will do a lot of ceremonial stuff. Maybe throw out the first pitch of a ball game, uh, cut the ribbon <clears throat> on a new monument, um, you know, uh, whatever they do on the 4th of July, give a speech, things like that. The chief economist is also pretty easy to understand. The president is responsible for the, the economy. Now, I do have a problem with this one because there's no one person that controls the economy. Right. And uh, just like coaches get too much credit and also too much blame president gets too much credit for good economic times and too much blame for bad economic times. Just my opinion. Um, but anyways, they're, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about unemployment and all sorts of things. All right. And then the one that I said I missed was the head of the party. So if you're looking at the, listen to this later uh, and you're looking for the head of the party, it's not on your review. All righty. Uh, you need to, to add it to it. Uh, that's just where they are. They're not, they don't direct the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. There's other people to do that kind of stuff. But the president is the figurehead and the leader of the party. Um, if the president is doing well, the party kind of falls in behind and kind of goes to success. You know, right now, there's a lot of talk that because Joe Biden's numbers are down, he, he has you know, a, a low approval rating um, that Democratic House members and Democratic senators might lose the midterms. So the Democrats could potentially lose uh, control of the House and the Senate, all right, because the president is doing, you know, kind of has a poor image or whatever you want to call it. Um, but that's head of the party. If it was the opposite, if the president was doing great things, uh, then the Democrats would probably sweep the midterms. But as it is, they're not. Uh, and it looks like, you know, I know it's a long way off, still, still another year away, uh, but it looks like they could lose some seats. All right, so those are the roles of the president. Once again, your assignment was to give two presidents a report card uh, grade for how they did in each of those. So you have to find historical examples 
of those things. All right, presidential campaigns is pretty simple. Uh, you need to understand that it is switched from party-centered to candidate-centered, okay? Uh, so it's gone from, hey, here's the party, and it's the number one thing, to it's the, the candidate. And the candidate is able to use social media. I think on the test, if I remember correctly, it is going to be a, uh, there's a, a blurb about Donald Trump's use of social media or presidential campaigns. I can't remember what it, I can't remember what it is, but it's about that. And the fact that the president can now target directly um, audiences and doesn't have to work through the media, doesn't have to work through the party. They can talk directly to people uh, through social media. All right, a signing statement. <clears throat> this comes with the president signing a bill. And it is their explanation as to how they see a bill being implemented. Okay, so the signing statement comes with a bill. And the president gets to write up basically why I signed it, how I see it being implemented. Here's the issues with it. This is what I think the bureaucracy can do. Basically, a signing statement is going to be used when the president may have wanted to veto something, but decided, hey, Congress might override my veto here. So let me sign this thing, even though I'm not super happy with it, but let me sign it and then explain how I want it to be enforced. So the president gets to put kind of their stamp uh, on the law. Does that make sense already? Uh, so they don't have to use it all the time. They don't have to use it all the time. If they're super happy with the bill, just sign it and go. If I was the president, I would never do a signing statement just because I hate writing. So mine would be very limited. Here's some bullet points about what I like and don't like. Okay. Uh, but a signing statement is going to be a directive basically to the, the bureaucracy. Hey, this is how we want you to enforce it. Uh, appointments to the federal judiciary. Pretty simple. Uh, I think most people know this. The president appoints, the Senate confirms. Right, so the president appoints these positions and the Senate <clears throat> then confirms them. Uh, the big thing here is there can be fights over judicial uh, appointments because judges are for life. Okay, every federal judge, <clears throat> once they get confirmed, they have their position forever until they resign, retire, die. Yeah, they're there for a long time. Basically, a president's influence lasts well beyond their presidency. You know, Donald Trump got to put three uh, Supreme Court justices onto the Supreme Court. That's a huge deal. Those people will be there in office uh, you know, a lot longer than Donald Trump. Obviously, Donald Trump's out of office right now. Yeah. No. I'm just recording it and I'll put the, I'll post the recording later. Okay. Um, so that's why they're contentious though. You know, the Democrats fought tooth and nail over all three of Donald Trump's appointments, but the Republicans were in charge of the Senate. So they got them through. And so they're there, but because of that lifetime um, term, they are going to be um, very contentious. All right. Uh, let's see. Difficulties in policy implementation. So the president is in charge of the bureaucracy. 
However, is every single bureaucrat loyal to the president? No, they're not. Okay. Um, it used to be long, 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 long time ago when it was a much smaller government that a new president would come in and completely gut the bureaucracy and bring in their people. Well, they got rid of that. All right. And so now you have career politicians, excuse me, not politicians, but career bureaucrats. So there are people up in some of those offices that have been there since the Bush years. Maybe they've been there since the first Bush in the early 90s. Okay. So they were hired under a Republican president. And then they survived Republican presidents, Democratic presidents, so on and so forth. Not everyone is always going to be super loyal to the president. So sometimes that leads to difficulty uh, when the president wants something done, has policy that's out there that a bureaucrat doesn't agree with. Maybe they look the other way. Now, most bureaucrats are going to be beholden to the job. Okay. But sometimes they can choose uh, to kind of do, do things there. They, I don't want to say go off the rails, but you know, they can look the other way sometimes if they want, if they don't agree with a policy. Uh, let's see the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act was created to keep bureaucrats out of politics. All right. So the Hatch Act was created to keep bureaucrats out of politics. Basically, it is illegal for a bureaucrat to take part in any kind of campaigning, uh, any kind of political things on the job. Now, obviously, outside of the job, they can be as political as they want to. But within their job, they're not supposed to do anything to sway elections and things like that. Just recently, well, I say recently, it's been five years now. Uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton, <clears throat> one of the big things on the campaign trail between her and Donald Trump was her emails. All right. She had, as Secretary of State, she had used a private server versus um, using the, the government secure server. And so like 30,000 emails were compromised or something like that. Okay. And there was a big investigation. Congress was investigating her. The FBI was investigating her. All kinds of investigations were happening. Well, around July, the FBI came out and said, hey, we're going to stop the investigation. They said they couldn't find anything. But then about a week before the election, last week of October, first week of November, the FBI director comes out and says, we're going to reopen the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Now she was pissed. Her campaign was pissed because they had already said, we're not going to run this thing. We're done with it. And then a week before the election, they opened it back up. So a bunch of congressmen said the FBI director had violated the Hatch Act, that the FBI director had been trying to influence the election by you know making Hillary Clinton look bad. Now nothing came of it. You know, he still had his job and all that kind of stuff after that. But they said he violated the Hatch Act. More, more recently, um, the press secretaries, both for Trump and for uh, Biden now, have been accused of, the, of violating the Hatch Act by trying to influence, you know, not necessarily uh, elections, but other aspects where they're, they're, hey, here's your job as the press secretary, but you're talking about other things 
uh, outside of that. All right. And there was a, they got into a Twitter thing uh, a while back. So um, <clears throat> anyways, the Hatch Act, uh, supposed to not violate stuff. All right. Uh, let's take, let me do something real quick. Okay. Um, the bureaucratic responsibilities. The main thing you need to know is that they implement the law. All right. If you can understand that, uh, then you're in great shape for the bureaucracy. All right. The main responsibility that they have is to implement the laws. Now, there are two things you got to understand. Okay. Uh, and that is that they have quasi legislative powers and quasi judicial powers. So what that means is they're not legislative. They're not judicial. But because of the way it's set up, because they have the ability to write up the regulations after reading a law and implement it as they see fit, they can act as a little mini legislatures. They can also act as little mini judges. All right. So a law comes to the bureaucrats. <clears throat> Let's say it's an environmental law. The EPA gets it. They read through it. <clears throat> you know, Congress isn't writing up regulations. They're just writing up a law. And so the bureaucratic agency, EPA, gets a hold of this law. They read through it. And they're like, that's impossible. We can't do that. So they get to decide how they're going to run the regulations. All right. Uh, and that's a pretty big deal because that's basically them taking on a legislative responsibility because here it is, you're going to, let's say, uh, not allow any pesticide to be used on crops being grown for human consumption. All right. That's going to be pretty tough for farmers to not use any pesticide. That's also going to be pretty tough for the bureaucracy, the EPA, to enforce. All right. So they might decide in their regulations, hey, we're going to let them use a little bit of pesticide, even though the bill and the law said no pesticide. Okay. Uh, maybe they can use pesticide once a, once a week or I don't know. Yeah, I'm making this up as I go. So don't feel like it's exact. But by doing that, that's quasi-legislative. They took a law. They wrote a regulation that kind of went counter of the law. That's a, a, a quasi-legislative thing. And then the judicial thing, you know, they can decide if they're going to punish people. They're going to decide if they're going to punish people. Uh, you know, so maybe they don't, maybe they decide if someone's using that pesticide, we're, we're not going to go after them or whatever it might be. All right. Uh, last little bit here, the types of bureaucratic agencies plus examples. <clears throat> You've got four that you got to know. You've got the regulatory agency, the executive agency, the government corporation, and the cabinet. Okay. Uh, the regulatory agency. So that's typically going to be an independent regulatory agency. Uh, and these are in one of the PowerPoints. So take a look at that if you're not sure uh, after we're done talking today. Um, they're created by an act of Congress. Okay. So regulatory agencies are created by an act of Congress and they are set up to typically basically it's what the name says to regulate something. Okay. 
So they are going to be set up and created to regulate whatever area of America that they need to. Okay. Uh, some examples are the interstate, uh, crap, the interstate uh, something commission. It's the ICC. I can't remember what the, I can't remember what it stands for. Anyways, the interstate commission. Okay. Uh, they're going to regulate some of the stuff that goes on, on interstate. All righty. The federal reserve might be a better example. The federal reserve regulates the money supply. All right. You're going to find this out next semester when you have macro, uh, all the things the federal reserve does, but they control and they regulate the, 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 the supply of money that's out there through, through some of their tools. All right. Uh, it could also be set up to, kind of uh, regulate items such as the FCC, Federal Communication Commission, they regulate the airwaves. They're what says what can and can't be on the radio and the TV. They're the reason I'll never be able to live out my dream of cussing on the radio because now all radio stations do a seven second delay. So even if I got through to a radio station, a call-in show, and I started cussing like I want to, uh, they would dump my call and bleep me out. So my dreams are cut crushed. All right. The SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, not the football conference, but the Securities and Exchange Commission, they regulate the stock market. They're the ones that are supposed to stop insider trading and things like that. They're the ones that got after Martha Stewart uh, a long time ago for insider stock trading stuff. So they regulate some aspect of our American society. All right. Uh, a government corporation is pretty simple in that they it is a business run by the government. OK, so it's a business run by the government. Um, they typically do this. Where they think they could run things smoother and where it might benefit uh, society. All right. The best example is the Postal Service. The United States Postal Service is a government corporation. They're supposed to make money. They're supposed to kind of be self-supportive by their money-making abilities. They're not, though. All right. Another example is the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, they create electricity for a, a big chunk of the southeast. Um, the damn power, the damn electricity. It also creates damn jobs. There's also damn tours. That's my damn joke. No one ever laughs, so uh, at least I still think it's funny. All right, the cabinet. I've already kind of, kind of talked about the cabinet, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on there. Uh, but they are those positions that kind of overarch parts of the American, just of America. Okay. Uh, some examples, the Department of the Interior. Okay. They're going to handle all the the issues that come from, um, you know, uh, the, like the, uh, I'm struggling right now, um, national parks and things like that. Um, the department of transportation, the department of agriculture, the, uh, department of defense. Okay. So here's this broad umbrella that is the cabinet position. And then underneath those cabinet positions are a lot of these regulatory agencies and executive agencies, all right, uh, that are actually going to do the enforcement. Uh, the executive agency 
So the independent executive agency, uh, these are set up and they are outside of the control of the president and Congress. Okay, so an independent executive agency is going to be kind of outside while they might be they might get directives from the president and from the Congress. They don't really necessarily have to follow these these directives. They are outside the control um, of those two. All right. Um, now, and the key difference and people always get confused with the regulatory commission versus the executive agency. All right. The big difference you need to understand is the regulatory agency has some enforcement behind them. Okay. A regulatory agency, if you, if you go and you do insider stock trading and that's your job, eventually you're probably going to get arrested and you know, prosecuted by the SEC. However, an executive agency probably can't do that. Okay. The best example is NASA, the space people, you know, would they like to stop some of these individuals that are taking people to space? and trying to create space tourism and things like that. Sure, NASA would like to, but they don't have that regulatory power. Does that make sense to you all the difference? So an independent executive agency is typically not gonna have uh, that kind of power behind them where they can get you in trouble, okay? That might be able to yell at you, but they're not gonna be able to, to stop you. All right, last two things there. Uh, the presidential bully pulpit. Uh, the bully pulpit is this fictional thing that the president has that Congress does not. All right. And basically the bully pulpit is the president's ability to talk directly to the American people. The president has that power, that ability. All right. And we can go back to FDR and the fireside chats where he would get on the radio and talk directly to the American people. Trump used social media and Twitter to talk directly to the American people, all right? So the bully pulpit <clears throat> is just this fictional thing and it's part of the informal powers the president has of where they can, they, can, they have a voice, they have a platform that no one else does. You know, um, nowadays we're kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we don't pay as much attention when the president speaks because they speak so much. But back in the day when the president spoke, you listened because you didn't get to hear him all the time. Think about Woodrow Wilson going around the America trying to get his League of Nations and the, the 14 points uh, signed. He went to, and made all these speeches all over the place and got huge crowds because it's the president coming. Okay. Lastly, there are the limits on the bureaucracy. We're going to concentrate on Congress. What can Congress do to limit the bureaucracy? Uh, three main things. Uh, they can reduce the budget. So Congress has the power and the ability to reduce the budget of a bureaucratic agency, so bureaucratic agency. Uh, they can eliminate the agency if they want to. So if they want to just get rid of something, they can say, hey, we're done. Uh, you're going to pack up your, your office and we're shutting you down. Now, that's a huge step and they typically will not do that. Okay, they typically will not, uh, you know, shut down an agency straight away. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they have oversight ability. So they have oversight ability, meaning they can call you in for questioning. 
no one wants to be going to Congress to talk before a oversight committee hearing. It's just um, no one wants to because it's a pain in the butt. And things you say could affect your agency and uh, you know, the funding that they get, the support they get from Congress, uh, and all those kinds of things. All right. Uh, lastly, they can modify your legal authority. All right. They could change. They could completely change uh, what you basically do. All right. If they don't like um, the way you're implementing laws, the way you're enforcing laws. So they have all those things. The one thing they can't do, they can't fire people. All right. So Congress, um, now they could impeach potentially, but I don't think, I can't think of an example of a federal bureaucrat being impeached, but they can't fire people. All right. So they can't go fire the director of NASA. They can't go fire the a cabinet position that the president has appointed. Uh, they don't have that power, that ability. All right. So there's the review. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to uh, text me on Remind, uh, interact on Twitter. All those things are on E-Class. I'll be happy to uh, talk to you there or wherever. Email me, whatever you got to do. But we'll test on Tuesday the 2nd, which is uh, tomorrow. We'll take this test. It's a 20-question test, so it's not long. We're not going to FRQ with this one. We'll FRQ with the next test. Okay? All right, guys. Take care.